This podcast contains sensitive content, which some may find disturbing. Information shared here should not be construed as medical advice. If you or someone you love needs help with trauma, chronic pain, or anything else we discuss here, please seek out a medical professional. All resources shared are for entertainment purposes only. All content represents the opinions of Kim and Anna and any special guests and do not necessarily reflect the positions of any organizations they work for. This is not ideal, but we're going with it. A mother-daughter podcast about chronic pain, trauma, mental illness, and more. Kim is a trauma therapist and certified addiction counselor who lives in Pennsylvania, USA. And her daughter, Anna, is a scoliosis sufferer and trauma survivor living in the tropical north of Australia. Join us each week as they discuss topics from their life experiences. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome. This is Not Ideal, but we're going with it, the podcast. I'm Kim and I'm the mom. And I'm Anna, I'm the daughter. And welcome back to another episode of our wonderful podcast. Today, we have another special guest with us, my dear friend and fellow Australian resident, (laughs) Casey Lee. Hi, I'm Casey Lee. (laughs) Welcome, Casey Lee. Super fun. Already getting off to a great start. All right, so we are here. Now, Now, let's get serious for a minute because we are talking about a serious topic here. This week's episode is on pregnancy and specifically on pregnancy loss. So if any of our listeners have trauma or PTSD or anything difficult in their past surrounding those topics, we advise you to proceed carefully. Maybe look at the post that we put underneath this episode, which we will include a trigger warning there. So just make sure you proceed with caution. Casey Lee is my dear friend. She and I worked together And we've become very close over the years. And she uh, recently experienced some trauma relating to pregnancy loss. And she'll tell you more about that in a second. But first, I just wanted to say that before starting this episode, I looked up some of the statistics surrounding pregnancy loss. And it actually happens a lot more frequently than I realized. So I just wanted to quick share that. But apparently 10 to 15% of all pregnancies end in miscarriage. Did you know that, Mama? Mm -hmm. I did not know that. 2% of them end in ectopic pregnancies, which obviously have to be terminated for medical safety reasons. Isn't that right? Casey Lee would know more. Is that right, Casey Lee? Yeah, yep. So I think the statistic is one in 80 for ectopics and one in four for miscarriage um, is my most recent knowledge. Oh, really? Oh, see, that's a lot higher than what I could find. Okay, maybe I didn't search long enough. (laughs) It could also be the definition that they give for miscarriage. Some uh, practitioners will only class it as a miscarriage if they've had a scan and identified a pregnancy in the womb. Wow, that is so interesting. Okay, well, more of that as we get Casey Lee to share her story here. And I want to say before we start that, that Casey Lee, I love you and I support you and I'm here for you and I can't wait to listen to your story. Thank you. So my husband and I have been together coming up to five years now. We got married in May of last year. And just prior to that, we decided to start trying for a baby. Six months into trying, we found out we were pregnant. I told Anna first. She got a video call um, the the second second Mm. line showed up on my test. My husband drives a race car. So we went racing that weekend and I didn't get to the doctors until the Sunday. They referred me for a blood test just to confirm and everything was going well. The positive test was on a Friday afternoon. And then the Tuesday morning, I woke up with some 
spotting, no pain or anything, but just some spotting. And I was a little bit concerned. So had my doctor refer me for another blood test, got the results back that afternoon about 3pm. And the doctor had told me that my HCG levels hadn't risen. Mm -hmm. And for some people who are who are listening, they may not know that it's expected that your HCG should rise by 60% every 48 hours at a minimum. But mine had remained exactly the same as it was uh, on the Monday when I got the results back. And then that afternoon, I just had probably half an hour of pain in the left side of my groin. And it wasn't even like a specific cramping pain. It was just this like a stab that wasn't excruciating it was enough to kind of take my breath away but it was only half an hour and I was at work and Mm. I was able to kind of write it off but that in conjunction with the news that my HCG hadn't risen was enough for me to just want to go to the hospital for a bit of reassurance sure Mm -hmm. um yeah and and on getting there they of course just assumed it was a miscarriage they were quite ready to send me home and let (sighs) it resolve on itself and then I kind of pushed that I had that one-sided pain that was concerning me Mm. um and then they pretty much at that point rushed me through they didn't have a ultrasound tech on so they had to call someone in and he did the scan and and before he even said anything it was quite obvious to me because he spent about 10 minutes of the scan hovering over my Mm -hmm. um, left fallopian tube I then got rushed to the actual radiology department of the hospital to have like a a formal scan done and confirmed for me that yeah our baby was yeah stuck in my left fallopian tube I was told that I would need to have surgery immediately that night. And that's because if they leave it in the fallopian tube and the fetus grows, it can rupture the the fallopian tube and cause massive internal bleeding and potentially cause death to the mother. Is that right? Yeah, yep. So um, a rupture can turn bad quite quickly um, due to blood loss. They obviously like to treat ectopics quite quickly. I wasn't given any other options. So usually there's three ways to approach them, um, either by by surgery like like I had a injection which I can't pronounce the name of the chemical and that then is a um, I think it's a drug given in chemotherapy and it reduces the size of the fetus okay and that's given in cases where they don't think it's at immediate risk of rupture and then some ectopic pregnancies are able to be managed what they call expectant management where they assume that the fetus will be dissolved by the the body on on itself. So ectopic pregnancies are pretty rare. So this must have been quite a shock to you. Yes and no. We had a friend experience an ectopic pregnancy the year before I did. So I had a bit of knowledge about what they were, but I think Mm. had that not happened and had I not been exposed to that the year prior, it would have been quite a shock and I wouldn't have actually known what it was. So thank goodness, because then that's what made you look at the pain and press the medical people about the pain. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So the afternoon before that, I had just a lot of pressure around my groin area and obviously people will try to reassure you and they say I'll just put it down to your body changing due to pregnancy Mm. but I suppose yeah with that exposure to friends of ours having experienced that once that pain then turned to one-sided pain Mm -hmm. it was more of a red flag to me than had Mm -hmm. it just been Mm -hmm. all around pain still. Mm-hmm. And I have a quick follow-up question as well. So you said that there are two other ways to monitor both the expectant pregnancy and the injection. And from what I am hearing, I'm guessing that those two methods of management 
don't require the removal of the fallopian tube, whereas the surgical option does require the removal. Is that right? Yeah. So some surgeons also with surgery will remove the fetus from the tube and leave the tube in, but Mm -hmm. they have found that a recurring ectopic is like 50% more likely due to the damage caused. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So they just opt to now remove it. So with the other two options, if they aren't successful in those methods and it does end up rupturing, obviously, then you are left with no choice but to have surgery. And do you know, does the removal of one of your fallopian tubes, does that lower your chance of pregnancy in the future or is it unimpacted? It slightly lowers it, but your fallopian tubes actually aren't attached to your ovaries, which is something that I learned only with having had this surgery and that you have little, I can only describe them as hairs on the end of your fallopian tubes that sense when an egg is released and will fish around in your body cavity for this egg. So they will move to the remaining ovary if it doesn't have a fallopian tube. Okay. So the um, so the one that's left kind of overcompensates then in, in the future. It tries to compensate for it. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I think we, we confirmed with a formal ultrasound and was told that I would have surgery that night. Mm. My... A friend, Sarah, who was with me, she called my boss and my husband to tell them what was happening. I She also um, called me. Called me. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that, but... Yeah, she's so sweet. We love her. <laughs> yeah, she was very helpful. So hubby was on his way home. I was being moved to the... I think they moved me to the surgical ward at first or... pre-surgical ward. But yeah, one of the most horrifying things that was said to me on my way to the ward was uh, Sarah had asked one of the nurses in the emergency department if I could have visitors in the next ward that I was going to. And she's like, oh, I don't think so, but you can in maternity. And then she looked at me and said, oh, but you're not going there. And yeah, so that was like a kick in the guts. Mm -hmm. Um, so went up to the next ward and I think I was there for a few more hours and then they moved me to another ward which is where I stayed until Matthew arrived all the nurses on the following wards were really lovely they were more than happy for him to come and see me despite visiting hours being over so that night passed I didn't have the surgery that I was told that I would have and it wasn't until the Friday that I ended up actually having surgery they basically kept me there on a pre-surgery fast um, for 48 hours awaiting awaiting my surgery and Mm. it wasn't until Friday afternoon that I ended up having surgery not before begging a surgeon to I told him to either do the surgery or send me home and let it rupture so that I wouldn't have to deal with the the knowledge that essentially my baby was dying inside of me. It was really difficult because everyone, all the nurses that were there were lovely and they were doing all they could, but it's just simply the public system and and not having the capacity to deal with as many cases as they they probably have waiting. Going home and waiting for it to rupture would have put your life in danger, right? Am I right about that? Yeah. So it had gotten to a point psychologically for me that I would have rather it rupture and kill me than wait any longer Mm -hmm. in the hospital um, Mm -hmm. for the surgery, knowing that my baby was alive inside of me, but it wouldn't be because it was Mm -hmm. non-viable. That is just so sad. I'm so sorry that that happened to you, my dear friend. Mm -hmm. (sighs) 
I don't even want to keep going. I just want to be sad for a for a minute. Mm-hmm. So you really advocated for yourself and said, "Listen, this needs to move forward." And they were able to respond to you. It sounds like. Yeah. So the surgeon that come and seen me, I don't think he was the surgeon that actually ended up operating on me. But he come and seen me. He was he was quite lovely. He said that I was on his caseload for the morning, and I was but that emergencies were would be put before me. And I basically said, well, I was told that this was an emergency when I was admitted and right. that I would sure. have surgery this like the night that I was admitted. And he said, yeah, like I understand, but things come up. And I'm like, that's fine, but I can't. I can't be here anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So he gave me really strong sleeping pills and knocked me out until they woke me up the next morning to take me down for surgery, prepped me pretty much lined me up at the OR and then turned me around because another emergency had come in and sent me back to the ward for four more hours. By this time, my father and his partner were there, which was just hard to have them there because I had already told dad that I was pregnant the day before I got admitted to hospital and he was mm-hmm. so excited but then for him to be there while I was losing my baby was um yeah so so hard and so can I ask, despite the repeated drama of them telling you you were about to go into theater, into the operating theater, and then turning you away over and over again, once they finally did come and actually bring you all the way there and you realized that you finally were actually going to have the surgery, was it like the final blow or was it more relief? I think it was relief, but I don't think mm-hmm. it had fully hit me yet. Right. I When I got wheeled down to the OR, I sat for an hour, but in the room just before the actual operating theatre waiting for them to prep for my surgery. So I laid there for an hour um, watching them set up for my um, operation and then woke up once everything was said and done and just felt really awful. Um, I don't react well to general anaesthetic at all. I get like tremors and feel nauseous and yes. (laughs) So they basically told me I could go home that night if I wanted, but I um, got up and no one had warned me not to get up so soon after surgery mm. and my um, blood pressure dropped and I mm. nearly fainted. Um, oh, no. So basically the blood loss from losing a pregnancy, I before I knew it, I was standing in a puddle of my own blood in the middle of the mm. surgical ward. And then, yeah, like once that kind of happened, we were like, we'll, we'll stay the night and see how I'm feeling in the morning and so yeah stayed there the night again and was released at I think it was like eight o'clock the next morning but yeah so I had to have doctors come and quiz me and stuff before they released me about your mental Mm. health was that what that was about no actually that's one of the things I'm most let down about by the system is that no one questioned my mental health no one warned me about any repercussions for my mental health that would come up. No one pointed me in the direction of any resources to look at. I was basically Mm -hmm. told use contraception for three months, but good news is you can fall pregnant. So you can try again. Mm. But no aftercare, no, no actual concern as to the other impacts that this could have had on you and did have on you. Yeah, I was written a medical certificate for two weeks to have off work. And they did the same for Matthew to be home with me, but no real instruction for anything past that. Mm. Once I got back to work, obviously, I had only been there for a week and a lot of my colleagues were um, not nosy about why I was away for two weeks, but being 
COVID. They assumed that my two weeks of leave was because I had COVID. So I um, decided that I would just tell everyone exactly what happened. And it's been helpful for me to talk about it. And um, Mm. I think telling my colleagues about it was beneficial because they are not cautious of what they say around me, but I guess you could say that they're they're mindful of um, how they bring up certain topics with me now. And Mm-hmm. That's nice to know that they do have my trauma in mind when mm-hmm. talking with me. Mm. So, Casey Lee, you went home. When you left the hospital, you were still maybe in shock a little bit, would you say? Um, I think so. I, it wasn't until mm. – it must have been the first night that we were home. My dad and his partner were still here and um, we were all watching a movie and I had to go to the bathroom and I um, – couldn't get up from the toilet by myself just Mm -hmm. from the pain of the surgery. It was kind of then that I realized that this pain was that I was experiencing was because I didn't have my baby anymore. And Mm -hmm. um, at that point I somehow managed to launch myself off the toilet and onto my bed and just started um, like scream crying. And Mm. um, Mm. I think I can't remember if I called out to Matthew or messaged him to come in and yeah, he just held me and yeah, I think that was when it truly struck me that like it was all said and done kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So pretty much the next two weeks at home was, I don't know, pretty much on and off crying, thinking about things, trying to find resources to look at Facebook groups for ectopic pregnancies, things like that, just to find mm. like an outlet of people that I could talk to. Mm. Did you find did you find any that were helpful? Yeah, so I joined a Facebook group and I've forgotten the name, but it's experiencing ectopic pregnancy or, or something along those lines. Mm. And that was quite helpful initially, but once you kind of get back into the mindset of wanting to try again, seeing all those posts about people experiencing ectopic pregnancies kind of sparked my anxiety about trying again. Like um, mm. all I was seeing. So I actually deactivated my Facebook account because I just couldn't see everyone's uh, pregnancy announcements. I'm 25 so everyone on my, it seemed on my Facebook page was announcing their pregnancies mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Facebook can be such a torturous place to be um, it's kind of that mentality of like how does the world keep moving on when I can't yeah and you're just sort of exposed to that yeah and any woman who has experienced a loss will tell you that it's just a thing that happens and you feel awful for feeling negative about women who are Mm -hmm. going through the happiest times of their life, but it's Mm -hmm. uncontrollable. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So you gave yourself that boundary and trauma, like we've talked about before, trauma is very isolating. And so Mm -hmm. these different strategies, you know, I can remember going through with Anna's situation, looking at a billboard of somebody happy and looking at that billboard and saying, well, they don't know, you know, (laughs) which I thought to myself, oh, what am I doing? Like I'm I'm really looking at the world and feeling very alone. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. It got to a point seeing engagement announcements or people getting married mm-hmm. was was hard to see as well. Obviously, it wasn't mm-hmm. related to my pregnancy loss, but the fact that these people's lives were going so perfectly when mine was mm-hmm. so far from perfect um, was really absolutely. difficult to see. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I remember feeling that same feeling as well of how it hurts to see other people doing well when you are struggling so hard because after mom's accident, she started going to physical therapy. She started being able to walk again. She started being able to go downstairs on her butt, right, mom? You started being able to slide down and you started figuring out how to kind of walk around on crutches and different things. And I remember you talking to me and we started to get into some kind of a fight over something really small. And it came out, you were like, why are you mad? You know, why? Come on, I haven't done anything wrong. And I remember saying it, it's really hard for me that you are my mom and you're so much older than me. And I'm supposed to be like young and full of life and you're getting better and I'm not. Mm -hmm. It really cuts deep when you, for some reason, can't get better. And you're seeing other people get better and it looks so easy for them to be getting better and they're getting better so quickly. And you are stuck at this same point of suffering in your life and you can't move on to the next milestone because for whatever reason, you're just trapped in this dungeon of pain and suffering and everybody Mm -hmm. else like found the key and let themselves out ages ago and you're just stuck there sitting in your own sorrow and pain. Yeah, I mean... um... I think I pretty much just had Anna and Sarah were the ones that would keep tabs on me. Once I got to the point where we were ready to start thinking about trying again, though that Facebook page that I was on was actually really hard to be on Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of these women had experienced second ectopics or second losses after their ectopic. Mm -hmm. And for me, that just put more anxiety in my mind about the Mm -hmm. possibility of of trying again. So I deactivated that account and went back to my normal one and joined um, other accounts like trying to conceive after an ectopic or expecting after an ectopic, those kinds of ones where you'd see more. Yeah, absolutely. So basically at this point, Casey Lee, the only support you're getting is searching for groups that had already existed on Facebook, that was the only space that you were finding kind of a healing space for you? Or were there other things that were helpful to you at that point? Um, So I was seeing a therapist. She probably wasn't the most beneficial for me to see. The first Mm. session I went to her after surgery, I told her what had happened. And we basically sat there in silence for the next 40 minutes because she had never dealt with someone who had experienced loss before um and then she had to go and research loss and how to deal with it which I had already been doing and the next session Mm -hmm. she come to me with a heap of resources that I had already been been reading and and been doing wow when Casey Lee told me because she she said that she was going to therapy and so then after the appointment I was like how did it go and I remember Casey Lee you were trying to be so you know optimistic and I remember (laughs) sending back a message that said dump her get rid of her right now find someone new ASAP you do not have to feel like loyalty to a bad therapist you need to just get a new therapist ASAP find Mm -hmm. somebody else a new referral. It can be so difficult just to get there to that first appointment that then mm-hmm. thinking about changing therapists, it can be really hard. Yeah, well, I still am not in with another therapist yet because the wait lists are three to four months everywhere. Wow. Uh, so I did six sessions with this lady just to see if things got better. And I guess the final straw was 
she had me do an exercise where I picked three people from my lives who mm-hmm. I thought had perfect lives and then she had me pick something negative about their lives and this to her was proving to me that not everyone has perfect lives and it's okay mm. and I was so let down by that because mm-hmm. I never expected a perfect life. I never wanted a perfect mm-hmm. life. I've never had a perfect life. I just mm-hmm. wanted a life where my baby didn't die and I wanted to yeah. deal with that happening. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not naive. I don't think that anyone's life is perfect and it's never going to be that way. So, yeah, she offered me more sessions after that and I just I said I was feeling better and, <laughs> and went on my way. <laughs> I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. Mm. That must have been so hard, my friend. I'm so sorry. I feel, I mean, this is just my personal observations from uh, being close friends with someone whom this has happened to. Because Casey Lee, I think, is my, I mean, I've known other women who have had miscarriages, but Casey Lee, I think, is the person I've been closest to while this has happened. So I think I've gotten kind of a new view of it happening, essentially being quite close to her. And it has really, occurred to me for the first time in my life, just how little we even talk about this kind of a thing in our culture. I mean, like very rarely does our culture actually support these women and validate their loss because it's considered such a common thing that then somehow it gets translated to like, well, it happens all the time. So it can't be actually that horrifying when it happens to somebody. I think that's the way doctors look at it as well, is that Mm -hmm. um, it happens quite a lot that women will lose their baby in early pregnancy Mm -hmm. and that it's not something to be concerned about. And I've actually been experiencing that because we have been trying to conceive since and we had a, basically a miscarriage before you're able to um, confirm by ultrasound. And I went to the doctor and basically said, look, I am at my wit's end that we've been trying to conceive and don't have a successful pregnancy yet. And I was basically told, well, you have conceived, but we're just, we're starting the the counter again from the last time you conceived because it can't be considered 12 months of trying because you've conceived twice now. Mm, Yeah, but it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like the counter should restart. It feels like it should be counting every second of heartbreak that you have ever since you started trying. Yeah, because I know it's affected my outlook on taking care of myself. Before I fell pregnant with the pregnancy that turned out to be at Topic, I exercised every day and ate really well and took supplements and tracked my cycles religiously and did everything that I was supposed to do. And Mm -hmm. it turned out so negatively. And now i I've put on so much weight because it's kind of like in the back of my mind that no matter what I do, it can end poorly. So why Mm. do all the extra steps when you can do it perfect and still be heartbroken? Mm -hmm. And when you think about, you know, trying again, are you, where are you guys, how are you feeling about all that? Because it starts to get really, really difficult, right? Yeah, it's uh, every month is um, I'm not tracking as closely my cycles. I used to know exactly which day I would ovulate and then, you know, you can test two two weeks after you ovulate and you should have an accurate result. But now that I don't track when I ovulate, I'm trying to reduce the stress on myself. But I feel as though it's causing more stress because I don't know when I should be expecting to be pregnant if I am successful my anxiety tells me I need to know the second that I am pregnant to make sure it's not ectopic again 
and that mm-hmm. I don't lose my other tube. So I'm at this losing battle of wanting to de-stress and not track my cycles as closely, but I'm also quite anxious about finding out the second that I am pregnant so that we can confirm it's a uterine pregnancy and I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about losing another fallopian tube. So yeah, it's like this tug of war in my brain now about mm-hmm. what's the best way to go about it. If, if there are other women going through what you're going through right now at, at different phases, is there anything that you would want to tell them or is there anything that I guess that you wish that you knew earlier on? I would strongly recommend the group SANS. It's a charity for pregnancy loss and infant death. They were really helpful to me in the beginning. They were one of the first resources that I found for pregnancy loss. And I think just advocating for yourself with your doctors, getting investigations that will ease your mind. I let my doctors tell me not to stress, not to stress, not to stress. And it's only now that I'm being referred for scans to check my fallopian tube health and to check my hormone levels to make sure I am fighting fit to conceive again when it would have helped me greatly to have that done earlier, three months after yeah. after the loss, when we were ready to start trying again. Hmm. And there are resources that are really geared for ectopic losses and resources geared for miscarriage losses because of the loss of your fallopian tube and the the real fear that you had of feeling like, I don't know if I'm going to also survive. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I think because I didn't experience the pain some women go through with ectopics, my fear of losing my life probably wasn't as intense as some women. Some women Mm -hmm. literally black out and have their tube rupture, which would be obviously worse again. But obviously knowing in the back of my mind that had my tube ruptured at any point, it would have then been a life-threatening emergency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just like you said, now even in trying, because of that fear of the other fallopian tube, I I, I really want more care earlier um, and want that to be very specific. Definitely. That's not, that's not something that most people realize Hmm. makes makes it more, makes it more fearful, more, more stressful for you, even though it's a, you know, trying to be hopeful, trying to be positive, but then you've got, you've got that very real need to know. Yeah, definitely. I I feel like I want to be hopeful and optimistic about the next pregnancy, but being realistic, there is a slightly higher chance of a second ectopic purely because I've only got one tube. So Mm -hmm. the statistics are skewed there. And also there's the possibility of scarring just due to the nature of the way ectopics happen. And also the fear that I so desperately do want to become a mother that if I lost another tube, the only option for me then to conceive our own child without going down the route of adoption would be IVF. And that's Mm -hmm. just not not a cost that is foreseeable for us. How have you seen, besides all of the knowledge that you've gained and the insights and the sensitivity, compassion for other sufferers that go through this, how has this changed you, your outlook, your emotions, I know sometimes get changed? Um, 
I think it affected my relationship quite negatively, my marriage. Um, My -hmm. husband, obviously dealing with things in another way, in a different way to me, sorry, couldn't quite handle my emotional up and down of one day I'd be hopeful and the next it would hit me that we got so far and got to experience the joy of finding out we were pregnant only to have it ripped from under us. Um, Mm -hmm. So for three months, I think our relationship was on the rocks um it wasn't until i started um antidepressants that we've seen an improvement in our relationship Mm. in that i'm able to enjoy things and experience life with him again i just wanted to hide away and i'd get snappy the minute he wanted to go anywhere or Mm. do anything with anyone i just didn't want to do it and now i'm able to to do that again I think that's been the biggest impact is seeing him struggle with not knowing how to handle what I was going through. Mm-hmm. It still has its ups and downs. Like I'm back on Facebook. I have seen a few pregnancy announcements since going back on. I can't bring myself to interact with them where I would usually heart react or leave a comment. I haven't been able to do that. I have a TikTok account where I share a bit of my trying to conceive journey and follow a lot of women who are trying to conceive and I still can't bring myself to interact with their posts when they do to get their positive positive tests because even though I know they've experienced loss like I have, it's still hard for me to see other people living what I wish I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I, I dance and I have my plants that I look after and my dogs. So mm-hmm. Awesome. And any books at all, Casey Lee, that you found helpful? I haven't actually read any books. Um, I haven't really <laughs> had the – About pregnancy. The- she has read something before. She knows how to read <laughs> read any books I've sorry never read. read before ever I've never read anything never I can't read <laughs> <laughs> oh no specific books about I did look at books about grief and loss and never found anything that really stood out to me or even that I had the capacity to sit and read for you look sure, at me, you sure. look at that and you thought that's too much work <laughs> the support yeah. that I need needs to be easy to access and is it something Casey Lee that you feel is helpful for example if people bring it up to talk about remembering your babies and you know is there like a date that you try to have people bring that you know bring your story to the forefront and sort of support you and your husband during that time or is it you'd rather they wait for you to bring it up I'm always happy for people to bring it up to me Um, I'm never gonna shut someone down if they did but I will always post um, if there's certain remembrance days or things like that I'll post about it and offer people to join me there was a walk that I did uh, well I didn't do it there was a walk that was on that I wanted to do but no one offered to join me on that and I it was quite soon after my loss so I didn't want to do that alone so I opted not to do it but went for a walk by myself here at home but it was basically just a gathering of women who had lost their babies and it was organized by sands and you were able to place a wreath for your baby and um, name them and and things like that so Mm -hmm. and then obviously on the anniversary of my due date I'll be doing something then so I was due on the the 16th of May for our ectopic so I'll be posting or or celebrating or or something on that day Mm -hmm. um well, thank you so much for being here with us, Casey Lee. I'm so glad that you were able to come and share your story. And I think it'll be really helpful for 
the people in our listenership who are going through something similar, which we have actually re- uh, received a few messages from people who are going through something similar. So thank you so much for sharing your story. And I wish that I could have been on that walk with you to the to our listeners who don't know we live in different states now. So because of COVID, we haven't been able to see each other in a while. But I want you to know that I am going to be supporting you from afar and continuing to do that. And I am your biggest cheerleader. I love you so much. I'm so glad you could come on. And thank you for sharing your story. It's been so helpful and so wonderful. And I am going to try to follow all of the advice that you've given to people to better support people who have gone through something similar. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, we're so thankful. And Casey Lee, this is the first time you and I have talked, but I also follow you on Instagram. <laughs> and uh, we're we're friends on Facebook. And um, it's just been a delight to listen to your story. And thank you for being willing to come on and share. No problem. Thank you. I am Kim. I am the mom signing off. Thank you for being with us. And I'm Anna. I'm the daughter. Go follow our podcast on all social media at Not Ideal Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you guys for joining us today. Stay tuned for more podcasts from Anna and Kim on the new series, Not Ideal, But We're Going With It. Also, check out their new website at www.notideal.net.